only want nail done to me. All aboard the struggle bus. A blind rage, seeking nothing but red. Angel but Nikki welcomes you all to color me dead. Be careful if you listen to this. Up in your bed, the murder and fuckery most foul will fuck up your head. Believe me, the order of the chalk lines alive and breathing. Feeding off readings being spoken to you by these local two. So grip your pillow tight like a psycho choking you. And sit back with skin snacks as we share this episode with you. You know it's true, cause it's true crime. We all gotta die in due time. But some are psychopaths and taking the righteous path. Go out at night to slash in a white van and a micro mask. A murder mustache, true crime, holy trinity. Loved by the community, keeping a low pro identity. So if you're addicted to podcasts and love to talk crimes, listen to Cover Me Dead and stay out of chalk lines. Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. All right. Yeah, right. Welcome to episode 95. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 95. Hello. Hello. I forgot to say hello. So... Today we bring you a case that I'm super excited to cover because <laughs> I, I like the dance. Did you like the dance? Mm-hmm. You like to see it? See it? Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. This mm. is why we need YouTube. I know, right? Uh, so this is a story that I have always been fascinated with because it was one of the biggest murders to march civil rights movement in the United States. Murder. Murder. Um, and because I was so fascinated with this at a young age, I saw documentaries and other things probably before I should have watched them, like a pretty tender age. But uh, recently we went on an excurs- excursion to Salt Lake and we hit up Barnes & Noble, which mm-hmm. is one of our favorite places to be. Mm-hmm. Got a book. Brought the book home. Scoured the son of a bitch. Highlighted. <laughs> like if you go, if you actually look at this book, um, I have multiple. Right bookmarks and then if you start like flipping through it the book has actually been highlighted through in many many places uh-huh. of all the shit that you know anyway so yes. we're I doing usually look too kevin's like why do you highlight it i'm like so i can find it easier because i read through it first uh-huh. highlight the good shit and then go back and write write it mm-hmm. and he's well, like all right there's there this book was an excellent book and there was a lot of excellent information in this book. Um, there's information in this book that didn't necessarily pertain to the murder, but that's why I like to go in and highlight. Right. Like, this is what I need. This is what this I want. This is where I want to put it. I don't it. need this part. I don't want this part. I'm, I want this part. We are doing the Emmett Till murder, and this episode is called Nothing That Boy Did. This is part one. Part one. You heard <sighs> me You heard me correctly. It is, it is part one of three. Tree. Trace, and I know. I forgot. That, I was gonna say it in German. I couldn't. I forgot. <laughs> and I know Dry. some of you guys. D- <laughs> there it is. Vines, vines. Oh, I, I don't even know. Spy, did I? Yeah, I know you guys. I know some of you guys don't like it when we break shit into parts, but 
Terry. Sorry, this would have been like an eight-hour episode. Not yeah, going to happen. Yeah, there's too much to not have parts, so it will happen sometimes. And before we dig into this episode, if you guys want to check us out and look at some of our sponsors, maybe donate to our Patreon if you so desire to do so, please check us out, ageofradio.org slash colormedead. And if you want to, you can just go to ageofradio.org and see all of the other shows on our network. Yes, please do so, and thank you, because there's some good ones. Yes, there are. And we want to say a very spatial thank you to our Patreon examinators. You're very spatial. Yes, huge. Thank you. We have Rhett Harris. Morgan. Melissa Morgan. Morgan Melissa. Hey, man. Just uh, throwing that out there. I'm changing your name for you. girlfriend? Melissa Morgan. Samantha Vaughn. And Sharon Sharon Hoffman. Thank you guys so very much. You can also find us on all sorts of social media. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at Color Me Dead Pod. I have been better about getting on there. I got on there the other day. Ish. Ish. I Uh, opened the app. (laughs) Does that count? You can check us out on Facebook. We have Color Me Dead Podcast page and if you'd like to join the maniacal fray that is our group it's the color me dead podcast group Yeesh. and we have did you already say instagram did i miss it you didn't I did say not. instagram we have instagram yes we it's do color me dead podcast or you can find me at gory underscore nikki or you can find me at color me dead angel Yeesh. uh let's see there is merchandise to be had. There is. And if you want some of that, go to colormedeadpod.threadless.com to check out what is there. Now, we have had some folks reach out that are graphic designers, and I need to reach out back. Um, there's a couple of people on the Instagram who have been putting some things together and sharing with us. And uh, I'm really excited to see what they come up with. There is a user. Jordy Turner, who is working on a Musty Charms. <gasps> yeah. No way. Yes. Oh, I am going to be rocking the Musty Charms. I Okay, I'm going to need you to hurry so I can get this shirt here by the 17th. No, no, no rush. rush. No pressure. I'm sure this can happen because it'll be a you know, couple days away. It's the 11th, so I'm going to need you to not do <laughs> anything else, just that. So I can get my Musty charm shirt overnighted, and at that point, then it's on wherever I order it from. Right. Okay? So... Uh, we also have a couple of other um, folks that have reached out to us, and um, there's a young lady. Y- young lady. A young lady. It's a labia. She <laughs> it's looks a like a labia. Ooh, it's a labia. <laughs> there's a young lady on Instagram that follow us, follows us, and her fiance is a graphic designer as well. And I have his email, so I want to send him some things and be like, "Yo, make it so." Also, Kagan is gonna. Kagan is working on some sinks. My little Kagan. Kaigan. I bet it's a picture of Rochelle. Oh, I actually know what it is. <laughs> I sort of do. Ish. He he told me it what I'll just leave that one a secret. We'll leave it a secret. I like surprises. We do we do we do. I, yeah. So So the book you used. Yeesh. The book that I used is called The Blood of Emmett Till by Tim. Wow, it's going to be an episode for sure. Timothy B. Tyson. Timothy. Timothy. Sorry, guys. My work schedule was a little ski-wonky. Um, I went through integrated crisis response training, which is a lot of physical activity. and Chuck Norris training. Sort of. And that was all daytime stuff. I am a graveyard person. So I did five days of normal people, daytime hours, and then went right back to graves. And there was a lot going on like over the weekend 
I didn't sleep very well. I still haven't caught up on my sleep. So my mouth and my brain aren't necessarily walking fucking hand in hand today. <laughs> they're they're not cooperating. I have no excuse. My, I, I just don't I just, cooperate. There are things happening in my body that even I can't explain at this particular juncture. So... My name is being called on the road to freedom. I can hear the blood of Emmett Till as it calls from the ground. When shall we go? Not tomorrow. Not at high noon. Now. That's a quote from Reverend Samuel Wells from in Albany, Georgia in 1962. Yes. So this story actually begins deep in the Southern Territory in 1955. Many of you are really familiar with the name of Emmett Till, but I don't think everybody really knows the full story. In this episode, we're going to be diving into the grisly murder of a teenage boy who crossed a boundary that could never be uncrossed. This story includes a young lady by the name of Carolyn Bryant, who was 21 years old when she crossed paths with Emmett Till, who was only 14. Carolyn Bryant was described as a very fetching woman. She was one of the prettiest black-haired Irish girls in all of the Southern Territory, and they called her a crossroads Marilyn Monroe. Oh, shit. Yes, very pretty lady. The color of skin didn't make any difference when we were young. Now, that was a fun little lie told by Carolyn while she was actually being interviewed. So the the gentleman that wrote the book that I used, and there will be a lot of quotes in here, he has written other stories that are racially motivated murders. Miss Carolyn Bryant later, decades later, wrote one of his books that was published in 2004. And after doing so, she reached out to him and wanted to talk about Emmett Till. So that is, yeah. So there, there's going to be a lot of information in here that you guys are completely unaware of. It's very interesting. So, so that was a lie that a lot of Americans had actually told them themselves. I mean, she wasn't alone in this little falsehood. Many white Americans shared those sentiments when they're like, "Oh, the color of skin didn't matter." In 1955, it very much did. It did. Now, did it matter to everybody? No. Did it matter to most? Very much so, and to a violent degree. Um, she advised that when they were older, she learned that it was it was pretty much that everybody deserved respect. Didn't matter the color of your skin, you deserved respect. But it wasn't okay to have black friends. Right. Like, there's a certain religion that I grew up in <laughs> that was like the same way. Like, right. you need to be nice to everybody, be friends with everybody, but... If they're but not. just say no to black bishops. <laughs> did anybody else just think of Blazing Saddles? I'm just saying. I did. I did. I love no, that movie. I do too. But yeah, they. Um, it wasn't they. It was, it right. was my stepmom. She would be like, oh, are they a member? Well, you can't be friends with them. So right. Like, really? What? But we have to be nice to everybody? Wait, Okay, we're what? nice to everybody, but we can't be friends with everybody. I don't like it. How? Did you save the receipt? Because I don't like it. Take it back. Yep. <laughs> We're going to take this one back. Oh, how, how the... Oh. Okay. So, she had actually been working in a market that belonged to her and her husband when the incident all took place. It was the Bryant's Grocery and Meat Market, and it was in a, a rural Mississippi Delta of money. That's the name of the place. Money. All right. Money. Money. So, what actually took place that day and what would be like said in court under oath remain two totally different things like opposite ends of the spectrum however miss carolyn bryant would later admit years and years later to a man that 
a lot of what she said was untrue. And these were little secrets that she had kept to herself, and she was well into her 80s when she finally came clean on some things. Damn. So, like I said, after having read another book by Mr. Tyson in 2004 that was on a different murder, on racially motivated murder, she decided to reach out and talk to him about Emmett. Now, one of the things that she muttered, it was more to herself, like she didn't say it directly to him. They're all dead now anyway. Yeah, she like mumbled it, like murmured it under her breath. And she was saying that in regards to the men who were involved and directly responsible for the murder of Emmett Till. Damn. So the the gentleman died years and years prior. So that would have been her husband and his half-brother. Anyway, she provided an unpublished memoir to Mr. Tyson, and it's called More Than a Wolf Whistle, the story of Karen Bur- Carolyn Bryant Donham, because she actually was remarried many years later. But for the sake of things, I will stick to last names that are relevant to help people know who they are. So she will remain Carolyn Bryant throughout this entire thing. Now, like I said, that is an unpublished memoir, but she did give a copy to this gentleman. Um, And he promised that he would take it as a historian. He would deliver it to the proper channels and, you know, um, scholars for it to be put into history. Here's the fun fucking fact on this memoir. You won't be able to read it until 2036 because that's when it's being released. Are you serious? Just found that out the other day. Um, because they reopened the Emmett Till case, which we'll talk about that later. Years and years later, his body was exhumed, and they, the FBI reopened this case. She has this unpublished memoir that she hands to Timothy Tyson. She's like, make sure that gets into the right hands. For whatever reason, because she actually still is alive. She's in her late she 80s. She wants it published when she did. Uh-huh. Um, and I kind of gathered that. Now, that's speculation between me and Nick, but that's kind of the impression that I got as well. Like, why would you wait until 2036 when it's 2019? Right. So it's going to be a minute before you, me, or anybody gets to read her her memoir. Hopefully she doesn't live to be over 100, and then she'll be like, uh, You know, at that point, perhaps she'll forget. Right. And just be like, meh, whatevs. I have dementia. This wasn't me. <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. I don't, I don't recall. Do you have proof? Uh, whale it's in your handwriting ma'am um, lady this it literally has your name <laughs> on it so miss bryant had put together this memoir and it was using vivid imagery that basically mirrored an old southern horror film called the black beast and in this movie it was about like this mad rapist who happened to be a gentleman of color And this was not uncommon for that time in this area of the United States for them to create these, like, horrific portrayals of black people. Like, they were all just, you know, they were out for blood and sex. Like, they were all murderers, rapists, thugs, and you know what I mean? Right. So, (laughs) sorry, I giggle because I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you don't, things were so different back then in the south mm-hmm. and i know that there are little hamlets and towns that still exist that are still as backwoods and fucked up now as they are then or as they were then but would like you look at it and you're like wait a minute they made horror films based on people's skin color 
let that fucking seek in yeah yeah so like a squirrel hunt here for just a second Mm -hmm. when uh okay this would have been in 97 Mm -hmm. i met this lady in it was back east Mm -hmm. and she's like you're so cute she's from georgia you're so cute i just want to adopt you and i'm like i'm not that cute like i don't get good grades or anything so (laughs) you're gonna have to deal with me that way and she's like that's okay we have help for that and i was like what? what yeah and i just looked at her and then i was like my room's never clean either she's like oh we we have help for that and i was like mm-hmm. i looked at my mom i'm like do you think she means what i think she means she meant more than likely yes and that was in 97 that yeah. was well after this correct yeah and it's still a lot of people still are employed for private families to keep homes Mm -hmm. or nanny or whatever by the by if you have not read the book the help or watch the movie get in on that shit because a the book is fucking awesome and b the movie had me in stitches because the lady that they some of the ladies that they cast to play these parts could not have fit the bill of the character better so going back to mrs bryant she she actually came forth. She charged that her testimony of Emmett Till um, hadn't been very forthcoming. She said that he had grabbed her around the waist and uttered obscenities to her, and that part wasn't true. So Mr. Tyson would go on to ask her during the visit, if that part's not true, then you know what did happen? And she looked at him and she's like, I want to tell you, but... I can't really remember. That was over 50 years ago. See, she's already putting it into play. She's putting our plan into play already. So. She's got this. It's difficult for people to have a conversation. I mean, obviously she's elderly. um, But if you come right out and you're like, yeah, that part wasn't true. Then what else are you saying is not true? Because you lied in court. Right. About it. So After taking the oath with the... You put the hand, hand on, on the, the Bible, Bible and, and the other one in the air. And you just lied. And you full-blown lied. These episodes are going to be so fun for you because you actually get to use I your southern know, accent. I know, that's what I was just thinking. It's You're like, finally Yay! time, and then I'm going to forget to use it, too. Right. I'm just going to, everything I say, I'm going to say in a, in a southern accent from now on for the next your three version, episodes. Your version of a southern My accent. My version, yes, which is horrifying, <laughs> but it's still mine. <laughs> And so it goes, what is remember and has, you know, what, what, wow, what really was remembered and what has faded out remains a blurry little line between truth and lies. And after being interviewed, our historian also went and visited with a journalist from Mississippi named Jerry Mitchell. Mr. Tyson had talked um, in great detail with him about his efforts to write this book and cover the Emmett Till case. And during that lunch, Mr. Mitchell was like, huh, well, a few days later, not long after, um, hold on, I am trying to talk faster than my brain and mouth are letting me. Slow it down. Roll, roll your slow. Roll your roll. Roll your slow. Roll your slow. Stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane, dude. So he gets an envelope in the mail, Manila certified shit, cracks it open, and what he has are copies of handwritten notes that that Carolyn Bryant herself had written to her attorney the day after arrests were made in 1955 for the murder. She admitted that Emmett had insulted her but had not grabbed her, and there wasn't any attempted rape, okay? And that's how a lot of Southern newspapers would actually word this, like, they called it a wolf whistle was more like attempted rape no it was not no not even close so these little slips of paper pretty much prove that she did know the truth at one point in time 
yet. <coughs> Excuse me. Unfortunately, she became the mouthpiece for a pretty monstrous, like monstrous lie. And Emmett's mother, Mamie, never did believe a lot of the things that she said. Hmm. Rightfully so. Most moms are going to question those things. Right. But something that Miss Bryant did admit in that interview, and Mamie Till, Emmett's mother, had pretty much said this all along, nothing that boy did could ever justify what happened to him. So the woman who sets this entire tragedy into play, who we were just talking about, Carolyn Holloway Bryant, was born in 1934 on July 23rd. It was said to have been like an unusually hot, muggy, horrifying day in the South the day that she was born. She was also born on her father's birthday. She was a preemie and she came in weighing four and a half pounds. She, Damn. she was teen That's a little baby. A little, uh, teen-tee baby. Um, my kids had that beat by double. Oh, my Bet. my chillins their poor I mother still, yeah nope and i can't get over the twins i will never get over john and <laughs> john and pat. pat oh my god uh they are big big boys that's like so, quadruple yeah that's yeah. you essentially had a litter of children into into yeah you could have i didn't eight. even i didn't even know they did c-section c-sections vertically until i saw my mother-in-law's they c-section probably star. had to do an x like just open that whole thing up like a demigorgon yeah and just pretty much open dude. it like and an, take them out uh, like a, a venus flytrap yep. they opened her up this way and yanked gigantic toddlers out of her uterus <laughs> It walks. It's already. They came out with backpacks on and ready for like kindergarten. There was and shit. a baby running down the street. I don't know if you know this, but your baby was born with chews on its feet. <laughs> that baby got a seven twenty credit score right now. <laughs> right now, and he's signing on his first loan. I'm just saying, he's like that's a, a full grown white man you just gave birth to. <laughs> so. um Tom Holloway, like many others, was involved in sharecropping. He wasn't a sharecropper, but he was more like plantation manager. And so they ended up moving frequently. Now, more and more that became common with the Depression as folks were traveling to try and find greater opportunities. The Holloways had lived on several different plantations, but Tom Holloway also worked at the time uh, for a prison for all black men on the O'Keefe Plantation. And this was very much... um, they how how do i word this they okay so these black men were in prison but it was very much like slave days reenactment on this prison they dug ditches they picked crops they you know Mm -hmm. that kind of thing so they he was a guard for this where they were responsible for keeping their captives laboring away all day. It was a really well-known fact that all of the riders, is what they were called, were equipped with a rifle, a shotgun, and a very big black leather strap called Black Annie. I don't like that. I don't like it. No, dude. Strike that. Eh. Reverse it. <laughs> I don't I don't like whippings, dude. Don't don't hit me with shit. No. Um Now, for any reason, for no reason, that black strap could hit one of those prisoners and they were whipped and they were held bare skinned and beaten with these straps. Now, the men that were there were like, we could have been hit for something. We could have been hit for nothing. And if you squirmed, you you got held by as many men as it took to hold your ass still while they whipped your ass. So... This reminds me of, well, because it's the same time, but North and South. That's what oh, keeps yeah. going into my head because those parts, I watched it when Ugh. I was young and it really bothered me. I didn't yeah, like it. It's, I mean, when they, when you get hit with a strap like that, it is intended to do maximum damage. Mm-hmm. 
So Carolyn insisted that her father never took part in these whippings because the, like the, I guess you would call him like the master chief. (laughs) The guy that he reported to had whipping nights where they would like find the most um, defiant person and they would whip them at a post. Or they would just find somebody that they didn't like that happened to be a, a captive there and they would whip them. So Carolyn said that her dad didn't take place in that. Now these whippings were sometimes fatal. So if you got caught fighting, stealing, you were showing disrespect to the riders, these would get whippings. Anywhere from like 5 to 15 lashes is what you would get. Now if you attempted to escape or you were fleeing, that was unlimited. And those are the ones that you might die yeah. from. Damn. Yeah, dude. I can't even imagine obviously being the person getting whipped, but the person doing the whipping, like, what the fuck kind of monster are you? I just, there's got to be some people, and and I'll touch bases, we'll touch bases on that later, but I know some of these people did not want to treat people this way. Other people had been Loved groomed and maybe, I don't know, they had just been grown and raised with such hatred in their heart that they enjoyed that shit. Mm-hmm. And that is fucking morbid. Yeah. Because I don't, I, I don't, I can't get down on that. Like, I can't, I can't no. get all happy about hurting people. No. Some people. But for the most part, I just want to poke you really hard in the ribs and be like, ah. How'd that like, feel? Did that hurt? Um, but do I want to whip people until their skin shreds off their bones and they fucking die? No, No. I don't. No. So it's kind of hard to imagine in the grand scheme of things that if your father is like one of the writers and he's like higher up on that food chain, that he didn't take place in these little brutality whippings in this prison camp. But she insists that her dad never did whip the men, that he would come home on those nights and go straight to bed, like shut the door because you could hear it if you like these most of the writers had accommodations that they lived in on these plantations so you could hear it so she said that like on these nights that it was he would come home and he would go straight to bed um she also recalled when segregation and supremacy had a very like sharp line drawn in the sand for her and it was a bike ride that she didn't take as a young lady with a little young man that was older than her named barnes now barnes was the son of a black laborer excuse me, black laborer on this plantation. Her, so his mother worked for the plantation as well, like taking after the kids, keeping up up on the the housework and stuff like that. And Barnes did odd jobs around the the plantation as well. Um, While it was not uncommon for the blacks to work in domestic positions for the white families, it wasn't a requirement to be wealthy to have help much like you were talking about in 97, a lot of them had servants or help that came into their homes. Now, Carolyn said that Barnes was in their home and he was a friend, just like family. Now, you're going to hear that a lot. They were just like family. No, they fucking weren't. That's another lie that white people told themselves to feel better about the shit that took place. So he was a lighter-skinned kid than his father, and he was very large for his age. Now, Carolyn, at the time that this all went down, was about 11 years old, and Barnes was four or five years older than her. And they would play together on the plantation. Now, that was allowed. You could go out and you could play with the kids on the plantation. That was okay. okay. So they would go out. They had like a tire swing. She always said that Barnes was like very inventive, that they always had games to play and things like that, and they'd go hang out. Now... um, that was that was Carolyn's favorite companion. And at the age of 11, you know that they're different from you. 
um, not just in appearance, but you you recognize the social standard for you know how they're different, but you don't understand why, how, like right. you're just like ah, I guess that is the way it is, but you don't know any different. Like, dude, prejudice isn't something you're born with. Like, you're no. not inherently fucking racist when you're born. Like. Nope. You know what I'm saying? So yep. she looked at Barnes as like, that's my boy. That's my buddy. So he um, he had actually been on his way into town on a bike one day. His mom had sent him to the store to grab a few things for the house. Carolyn was sitting on the porch trying not to die in the heat of the summer and sees Barnes come riding by. Well, he's like, she's like, hey, you know, where are you going? He's like, well, I'm going to the store. She asks him if she can go too. And he's like, Sure. And so she hops off the porch, goes to get on the back of this bike, and her Aunt Mabel, who was like her favorite companion as well, her Aunt Mabel was a little bit older and had been stricken with polio at a young age. And so her Aunt Mabel wasn't very mobile. So she sat around a lot and Carolyn would keep her company. And um, so anyway, Carolyn hops off the porch and she goes to jump on the back of this bike with Barnes. And before they can push off to go to the store, Mabel, all crippled, comes out of the porch as fast as she can. She's like, get off that bike! Now, she had never yelled at Carolyn a day in her life. And she's scared, like, oh my God. Yeah, it scared the shit out of her. So she hops off the bike and she's like, whoa. And she's like, you get in this house right now. So here comes Carolyn. She's like, whoa, 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 you know. And later she goes to her Aunt Mabel and she's like, why did you yell at me? And Mabel was like, you don't need to be on the back of bikes with boys. Like, people are going to talk about you. And it wasn't just being on the back of a bike with a boy. No. It was being on the back of a bike with a black boy. Now, was it okay when they were at home on the plantation? Yes. Was it okay in town? Hell no. No. And that's when Carolyn, like, she's like, oh. And she started to realize those those social norms and so she didn't see Barnes a lot after that he was still around but she said that on that day she felt like I reckon we both got corrected on that day finger quotes corrected so he probably got more than just a stern talking to at that point oh for sure that sucks because they didn't know any different they're friends right and he was older so he did he know that there was a, a different social standard? Sure. But to what extent? Right. You know what I mean? Like, they're kids. I don't I don't give a crap. Like, even when I look at 18-year-olds, I realize that my daughter is old enough to fight for her country, die for her country, vote, and go to jail. But when I look at my daughter, she is a child. Right. Okay? So, even at 14, 15 years old, that is a child. It's a mm-hmm. kid. Yeah. Anyway... So, in 1949, Carolyn had actually won a beauty contest at the age of 15. And shortly thereafter, her father suffered a series of strokes. And the first few had really weakened him and made it unable for him to work. The last one, the final one, was the fatal blow. And at 63, he died in his own living room. Oh, no. That's no good. Yeah. After that, um, so... Carolyn and her mom were allowed to stay in the house until her mom had earned her nursing degree so that she could earn a living for the family. And they had moved themselves out of that home once she completed her degree into a nearby town. Carolyn worked at a variety store and she also babysat for local families to help like make making make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And she took care of her siblings when her mom was at work late. So, Carolyn, being the young little beauty that she is, had actually entered into more beauty events, and she won series, like, a series of them. Oh, really? Yeah. She, I'm telling you, she was a very, very 
beautiful woman. A fortunate looking woman. She was. She was very slender. She was short, petite, slender, big, full lips, real silky, shiny black hair. And when you are fair skin, dark hair, big, pink lips, you know what I mean? She was kind of a bombshell. Not kind of. She was. Anyway, she was considered to be what her peers referred to as like movie star material. Right. So after hearing these kinds of things for so long, she, her head was up her ass a little ways. Right. On the, I'm so pretty. You got to watch those doorways. Oh. They'll catch you in the head every time. <laughs> you can't get through when your head's that big. Yeesh. Oh. So as she got older, it was taught to her that she was no longer allowed to have black friends. And she had moved into this town called Indianola. And the respects, so to speak, were different there. And that's when it was like the segregation was the same, but the harshness of like acting up and not staying in your place. Finger quotes on those. Yeah. Acting up. You guys can't see me doing it. Quote, acting up or not staying in your place. (laughs) Get in your lane. Stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane, bro. Maybe that's where shit came from. I don't know. But those were things that... um, would earn a black person physical assaults. So things like looking a white person directly in the eye, um, staying on the sidewalk as you were walking past them, or not using yes sir, no right. sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. That could mm-hmm. get you punched. Yes. Uh, all right. I couldn't do the 50s, dude. There's no. no way. Yes ma'am, no ma'am. When Calvin says that to me, I'm like, can we not? See, yes ma'am, no ma'am, and yes or no sir, to me, are second nature because my stepdad liked that and some of my my relatives in the south it's just something you do uh, i can't um, when calvin says it to me yes ma'am i'm like i see and i feel like i'm so old can we not can and we i just, just yes do mom it. yes mom will be fine so i and i just yes sir like and even if i'm not like being like yes sir you know what I mean? I say it all shitty sometimes where I'm like, yes, sir. But I say it. <laughs> yes, and it's just, yes, sir. It's just like second nature for me. But, uh, you know, if somebody were like, you know, he looked me directly in the eye. I'd be like, what the fuck you're supposed to? That's how we were raised. You look right. at me, like, look you're me in the face when you're talking. That's what I've been trying to teach Calvin because he's so shy. Oh, yeah. If somebody says something to him, he'll, if somebody says hi, he's like, hi. And he like has to hide away. And I'm like, honey, you need to look at adults in the eye and say hi back to them. Yeah, I know. I had to do the same thing with Paige, except my right. my daughter has like, she had social anxiety and she wasn't taught how to properly interact with people. And instead of, she appeared to be rude That's how and Calvin distant is. because yep. she's not making eye contact and she'd get weirded out and she'd be like, Ugh, and she wouldn't even mm-hmm. say anything. And she would like turn her back on people. I'm like, what the fuck That's are you doing? exactly what Calvin does. When people told him happy birthday, he would turn around. You're like, I'm what? like, what are you doing? Uh, say thank you. He's like, I did. I'm like, I know you, you didn't in your head. You did. Did you know that I can see you? Yeah, yeah, I'm right here. I would have heard if you would have said anything besides mumbler. It, stop mumbling, mumbler. Stop shrugging, shrugger. Mumbler. Quit being so noncommittal. So, back at the ranch. Um, when she had a boyfriend with a car in high school, he would actually drive Carolyn to a place called the Hanging Tree. Oh. And this is where they would go to hang out and neck or whatever and he would actually tell stories where this is where we came to punish black people and she actually recalled 
um, like when she agreed to go with him to this hanging tree, um, as he's sitting there telling her some of these stories, she's like looking up in this tree, she could see the frayed end right. of like a hanging rope, a mm-hmm. noose in the tree. So, what's that song? The oh, hanging okay. tree that is in Hunger yes. Games. Yes, are I'm like you, there is a song. Are you coming to the tree? Mm-hmm. That they one. Up a man. That song they gives me the chills every three. time. Strange things did happen here. No stranger would. I know all the. I love that song. I don't. I don't and, know the words. I just remembered th- that there was a song called Hanging Tree. I'm like, uh, what is that? Jennifer Lawrence actually did a I know. really good job of that. So while Carolyn's family was considered a rung or higher in the hierarchy of like white folks in the South, they had a general generosity towards black people that wasn't carried over by her in-laws. So Carolyn had never been involved with the Millam Bryant clan and the Till and the Till episode. Oh, Jesus. Fuck me. All right. The Till incident. (laughs) The incident with Emmett Till would probably have never taken place. If she hadn't married this this person and married into this family. Okay. Uh, well, fuck. Yeah. Carolyn described herself as an innocent person wandering in a place she shouldn't be when regarding her in-laws. The Millam Bryant consisted of a very large family that was half Millam and half Bryant. So her first husband, her, this woman's name is Eula Lee. Okay. Her first husband dies. And she marries his cousin. She okay. has a grundle fuck of kids with one and a grundle fuck of kids with the other. Like you do. Like you do. And so that's why they're referred to as the Millam Bryant clan. Now, I know a lot about this family. And if you guys want to hear about it, maybe I'll do it as like an extra sode or something. Because or these a people Patreon or, or a Patreon sode for those of our fantastic Patreon donations. Thanks for your pledge. Um, <laughs> I wish I could have recorded you saying that. Thanks, well, I can't even say it. I don't know what the hell just happened, but I was I making like a it. face while I was doing I it. I like it. So I I find these people to be scum of the earth. Okay, like in the grand scheme of things, regarding segregation, I am sure that there were white people that had wished they were black, so they didn't have to talk to these fucking people. Right, and it would be socially acceptable normal that you avoided them at all costs okay like these people are just trash ass human beings so all i'm really going to talk about right now is the woman was married lost a husband to an accident remarried birthed more children and one of those sons roy who has a uh, he also has a twin brother named raymond would go on to marry carolyn his half-brother, J.W. Millam, also known as Big Boy, would be his accomplice in the murder of Emmett Till. Carolyn would actually meet her husband, Roy, when she was 14 and he was 17. And they met at a party and she had pretty much fallen head over heels the minute she laid eyes on him. Now, truth be told, Roy Bryant was actually a very handsome dude. Mm. Okay. So she locks eyes on this handsome older dude and she's like, take me now. Well, Roy Flate me at once. Flate me at once. That's still my favorite saying. I know, dude. Things, every now and again, my husband will send a zinger and he'll say things that even (laughs) like shock me. I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? (laughs) Flate me at once. All right. Okay. Pants off. (laughs) Expose yourself. (laughs) Put Um, it in my mouth. (laughs) I guess, man. I just, yeah. So, 
Roy had actually come to her house after this party um, wanting to see Carolyn, but her older sister had shooed him away. Long story short, he would see her walking home from school one day and offer her a ride. And of course, no hesitation, she hops in the car well, and yeah. was like, woo! Right, like you do. When, <laughs> like you do when you like a boy uh-huh. who's got a car. Look, I have a bruise. It's right here on my tit. <laughs> I don't think they. Uh, I don't think they partied in the uh, flirts the uh, way we do. Well, shit. I think the flirtations may have been a little more reserved. Okay, fine. So, um, she hops in the car, and they started to see each other quite a bit after that moment. And I think it was more of these, like you know, he would pick her up after school. They would sneak off for a hamburger and a shake. Maybe some. That what you call it? Well, back then, that's really what they did. <laughs> Maybe some hand holding. God that kind damn of it. I know. I need this and, to be more interesting. And it just isn't. So right. he eventually joins the army. Okay. And she's still Aww. in high school. Well, he was stationed in North Carolina. So he was actually out of the state, but he would come home on furloughs. And in 1951, he proposed to her and she accepted. However, she was only 16 years old. But that was normal, right? Um, Ish. I don't, I, I think it was more acceptable. Yeah. Acceptable, um, not normal, but my grandma got right, married. Right. My really grandma young married too. quite young as well. But um, they still had to have parental permission mm-hmm. in which to do so. But the age of consent is a little bit different in each state. So she pro- or he proposed, she accepts. Now, she knew that her mom was not going to sign over rights for her to get married at the age of 16. So right. she pretends to go to school one day doesn't go, meets Roy in front of the local post office. They hop in the car, drive over to a Baptist church in another, um, like another neighborhood, another town. And they had gotten their license. They marry in secret. And immediately following, they bomb over to a motel to consummate their marriage. Wow. Like you do. Like you do. Like you do. So after they have married in secret... And the only people that really knew about this was Roy's family. So it wasn't a secret to the Millams or the Bryants. Okay. They all knew. And some of the witnesses were of his family. Okay. So it was a secret to her family. Now, they have been married. They've consummated. She's she's had her first sex, which I'm, everybody <laughs> knows. I had the sex. It Everybody knows your first time, first time sucks. So. I know. I just went off on like a thought there yeah. for a second that I was like, oh God, how awkward. And, yeah. Um, and now you're married. What if it sucks? Oh man. And you've just married someone that you, it- you're banging sucks. <laughs> like, oh my God. But she stop. wouldn't know any better. You know what I mean? No, like, she has nothing to compare it to. Nothing to compare it to. She's 16 years old. She's just bung for the first time. Like, you yeah, don't know. Right. But to me, that is just so weird. Because you think about it, you're like, you got your first bang on your wedding day and banging for the first time sucks it really does it's really not all that fun no <laughs> so that being said they're spotted by carolyn's sister headed back into town so they stop they admit they've been married to the sister and the sister congratulates uh, congratulates them and she the sister gets in the car and wants to like head back to the family so that she can be like oh carolyn got married well carolyn and her new husband go back to the mill and bryant home and that's where they like had partied for the night and celebrated because it wasn't a secret there so they they ate and drank and celebrated this new wedding and right after that roy had to catch a bus to go back to fort bragg so they have just gotten married and now she's already alone like her uh, her husband has already had to leave her so 
the the brief piece that I will tell you about, about this family, okay? Um, Eula Lee is a short, plump, and by plump, I mean fat, just yeah. squatty, gross, bitch of a lady, okay? She was well known for keeping a pistol in her bag. Do you notice a pattern with other mums that we talk about? Right. Hmm. So she kept a pistol in her bag because her second husband, that would eventually leave her, drain the bank account and bail to go see, to go live with another woman. She that probably wash her twat. Oh, I goodness. don't know. Right. Yeah. Cause this, this woman's foul. So she would keep a pistol in her bag at all times. And she would go on to say that if she ever caught the philanderer, that she was going to put one right between his eyes. Now it was well known that she also had whiskey for breakfast. Right. Like you do. <laughs> like you do. Like you do. <laughs> so, Jesus. So she was really into using the N word. which I'm super fond of. Let me tell you all the ways I'm pumped about this because it is riddled in this book. And I know, I know that that's what they did. And that's it. Like they threw it around like the word the. And I'm just like, ugh. Well, even when we were little, it was not uncommon to say it. It, Or like to hear it. And even still now, like in different necks of the South, depending on what, where you are and who you're with like you still might hear the word and i'm like could you fucking not right can like not? there are so many other unsavory words that we can call each other without referring to like the color of each other's skin that like really dude you could call me a knuckle dragging swamp cunt and that would be better right like, <laughs> if you're gonna insult me much better if you're gonna insult me fucking do it right don't call me a cracker or peckerwood i'm not gonna call you an n-word right which by the by should that word be dropped in this podcast, I actually have on the next episode some quotes, and there's a disclaimer in the beginning. If we don't want to use them, we won't, but they are written on paper, and I did say, like, if you hear that word, that is not our language. Right. It is used in a quote for the time. Might I say it? I don't know. I don't even like it coming out of my mouth, no. to be honest. So, that being said, this woman was a drunk. She was a, a big whiskey drinker, carried a pistol in her bag always had it in her head she was going to use it on her ex-husband and she was really fond of the n-word now there was a situation in which they were standing out front of a variety store and there was a gentleman a black gentleman who had an interaction with eula lee now whether or not this man failed to use yes ma'am or what for whatever reason didn't didn't made eye contact right didn't act the way that eula and her um, brother-in-law, son-in-law, what I can't remember, son-in-law. Anyway, um, didn't like the way that the interaction went. Okay. They thought that he was acting out. He wasn't in his place. So Melvin, her son-in-law pistol whips this black man. Damn. Cracks him in the head, busts his head wide open. Can you not? Right. So this man is crumpled up on the concrete holding his butt and it was an elderly gentleman like he was an older man damn right so bro this is where i get a little about what happened to emmett till because roy actually tried to help this old man he like picks him up off the you know off the pavement and he's like trying to help him like with the wound on his head and he's looking at his mom and he's like god damn it like what do i do she's like pour some turpentine on it (gasps) because apparently that's how we're gonna sanitize you know this wound so roy actually helps this gentleman 
cleans up his head. They did, in fact, clean up a fucking gash from a pistol whipping on this man's head with turpentine. Jesus <coughs> Excuse me. Christ. But then Roy drove the dude home. He drove this black man home. And he was like, he was not okay with what had just gone down. No. Which makes it really hard to swallow what happens later to a 14 year old kid. So there's plenty I can tell you about the Mill and Bryant bunch. And I'm just not going to because it's, to me, it's unfucking necessary. I don't like them. I don't like them. <laughs> They're me. no good. We don't like, we don't like them. They're shitty human beings and they probably shouldn't fucking breathe. Most of them don't anymore. <laughs> so, so there's that. if you guys ask for it, maybe I'll throw together a Patreon episode. Actually, I should. And just talk all about these fucking low lives. Yes, you and should. And then if you want to hear it, you got to you gotta go and pledge. At least a, least a something. At least a dollar. One dollar. One dollar and we holler. Please, sir. Just a dollar. <laughs> no. Just a dollar for, a dollar for your troubles. <laughs> Can I trouble you for a dollar? I don't know for a dollar for your troubles, but... <laughs> Jesus Christ. How about can I trouble you for a dollar? Just one dollar. Just one. I will um, holla. <laughs> all you really need to know is their mom sucked. She was a heavy drinker. They were all a bunch of racist piece of shits, and they were all very misogynistic, most of them. So quickly, Weird. JW, the one that they called Big Boy. Can we which, by the by, he's six <laughs> foot two, weighs like 250 pounds. You're in not my that book, big. In my book, you little bitch right like i'm like you're only six foot two six foot two so what you want to do i want to shoot <laughs> jesus i knew you I, as soon as i said it i was like i know where she's going and she's this. gonna shoot she's she's about to shoot <laughs> um which by the by when i posted a photo of spencer and my my logan right, in the kitchen fighting so over crab funny. salad somebody was like you know i was like gonna ask you about their height because at they first look they look normal and then you see that they're both standing several <laughs> inches above the door frame and you're like god damn i laughed so hard when i saw those because i thought the same thing i'm like oh look at that they look like spencer looks like a normal sized human until you realize that the window he's standing in front of is actually really high up on the wall and, and the, he's like yeah. he's over it yeah and the top of the oven goes to like not even his waist yeah. not even to his hip bones it, it makes me giggle so when they're like he was a big man six foot two 250 pounds i'm like <laughs> right spencer was that when he was four fuck <laughs> I, dude, my husband my husband's a very big man so when they're like big man i'm like my husband's literally a half of a foot plus one inch taller than that <laughs> no call yeah. me big boy could i can show I, me big boy eight inches he is eight inches taller he is a desirable dick size taller <laughs> just kidding <laughs> he certainly is wow you took it there i knew as soon as i was like eight inches i saw you light up so back where is my brain today i know you dirty perv sorry so jw millam the one that they called big boy six foot two 250 pound dude he actually huge misogynist carolyn was all super excited that she was going to get to vote right and she had been moved into a different area and she was like well i got to figure out like how i need to put my you know get my my address and all my stuff so i can vote jw's like oh you don't, you needn't worry about that i already did it for you oh. she's like wait a minute what he's on like, no 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 don't worry about it i voted for you what and this was a big blow up between her and jw because she was very excited about voting and he had gone into town and was like she's my sister-in-law i got it and voted for her um no because clearly females cannot be trusted to vote properly right 
Um, and so this, like, she was very vocal about this in the in the interview with Mr. Timothy on yeah. little bastard, t- little bastard, big bastard took my vote. Now, <laughs> Carolyn ended up dropping out of high school, obviously, right. to move to North Carolina so that she could be with Roy while he was in the service. And like you do, she ended up pregnant twice, literally like Fuck. back to back. Okay. So no. she had two sons. She, at one point in time, took a bus. She had um, come to see her mother. And when she went back, she had a three-month-old infant and she was pregnant. Nope. Yeesh. Let, yeah, dude. Like, I, Dude, mine were 22 months apart and I cried and cried and cried like I just popped one out and then had the other one. Yeah, so dude. She, she had Irish imagine. twins. That's how my mom and my uncle are. His birthday is like February 23rd and hers is March 2nd in my, like one year. My mom. Nope was like so my uncle ray my mom and my uncle ken all three of them bam 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 no just a no thank you for me like a pez dispenser have a baby baby ding (laughs) baby so she ended up with two little boys back to back now after roy left the service they moved back to mississippi and they had started a gravel hauling company and unfortunately when a trainee wrecked their gravel gravel truck it burst into flames and it was a complete loss now the insurance company that had been insuring their company vehicle and their business had actually gone bankrupt oh so there was no insurance money following that whoops so afterwards the couple had actually moved again and roy's brother helped him buy a store where they also lived so this grocery store and meat market in money was also their house so they like lived above and to the side it's convenient really really you know you don't ever have to put shoes on you don't. You just go downstairs. <laughs> Barefoot, <laughs> pregnant, fucking hot as hell in the south. Just, Jesus. Would you grab me a package of meat out of there? I'm going to get something in here to to cook with it. I don't I know. Don't know. <laughs> so, this is actually where everything goes down with young Emmett Till. Now, before I unearth all of the nasties on the murder, I'm actually going to talk about Emmett Till and his mother. Um, so we're going to take this back even further and give you guys some information to set the tone on 1955 in Chicago and 1955 in Mississippi. Okay? Mississippi. Mississippi. It's not Mississippi. Mm-mm. It's Mississippi. There's only one set of ISs. <laughs> Mississippi. It really, that's Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi. Mississippi. Yeah, it's kind of like we say New Orleans, yes. or they're like Nolans. Nolans. Like, one word. One word. And apostrophe Ollins. Ollins. Nolans. Yay, yay. What the fuck just came out of my yee yee? The hell just came out of my mouth? Well, they know it's something that people in Nolans say, so just go with it. No, because everybody in New Orleans is like, what the fuck did she just say? That is not from Nolans. No, it's a Utah thing. That is. Yeah, that's what the little Ritters do. Like, yee yee? Like, yee yee? I guess. I don't know. Sometimes I hear my kids talking shit to each other and they, like, out of nowhere, you're like, yee yee? I'm like, what the fuck? Did you hit your head? Or are you having a seizure? <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Do you to go to the doctor right now? Because that noise was not a normal noise that someone should make. Dude, the other day, my kids squared off and were like attacking each other verbally using Fortnite oh, no. disses oh, and shit. Fuck. So I was like, my husband comes around the corner and he's like, can you hear them? And I'm like, no. Thank God. Why? What? And he's like, they're in there like battling each other verbally with Fortnite disses or some shit. And I'm like, I don't fucking know. Now, uh, so Mamie Carthan, who would later become Mamie Till, 
is Emmett's mother. She was born in Webb, Mississippi, and would later grow up in Chicago with her mother and her extended family and close friends. Now, in the 20s, it was said that just about anywhere was better than Mississippi. Hmm. <laughs> I think it still is. Sorry, no <laughs> offense to anybody that lives Love there. Love you, Mississippi. Just saying. Um, all y'all. I've only... All y'all. I've only been there a few times. Like, I don't hang out there. I don't even know if I've been there. Ugh. At least through it, but I don't... I mean, I've I've visited I've been in Mississippi several times um, because you can actually go like you can drive through four states in three hours um, right there yeah. where, like you know anyway you can go from New Orleans to Mississippi to um, Lu- no Louisiana Mississippi what, what the fuck am I miss hold please oh, okay so Louisiana Mississippi Alabama Florida Yes. I don't know why the hell that was so difficult. Like, I know the geography. Jesus. So, anyway, you kind of drive Jesus. through all four in, like, three hours' time. But I've spent some time in Mississippi. Not my favorite. I do love the South, but Mississippi, not my favorite. Sorry, um, Mississippi. Sorry, Mississippi. But, uh, so, anyway, it would it would go on to say that living living anywhere was better than living in Mississippi. Right. And, um, and you're all, saying that and you're living in Chicago. All right. Right. <laughs> well, and and you'll find out why. So in the 20s, or excuse me, all kinds of stories and tales about living in Mississippi would filter their way up north because most of the black folks down in Mississippi were basically running for their lives right. to get the fuck out of Mississippi. And if you go straight north, it's they Chicago. had a tendency to end up in Chicago. Now, the stories that were told from migrants became fact, like telling of the lynching in Greenwood, um, not far from Mamie's aunt and uncle, where a boy was actually mutilated and hung from a tree. And so people, when they were trying to find better opportunities, they were trying to get the hell out of Mississippi as fast as their little feet would carry. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Mississippi actually outranked the rest of the neighbor, neighbor, outranked the rest of the nation in lynching, the greatest number of lynchings, the most lynching per capita, the most female victims, the most lynchings without arrest or conviction, and the most multiples. Jesus like more than Christ. one person lynched at a time. This is all in Mississippi. And like we'll just really line you up. for real, I could go on and on. Like Mississippi literally, if you were a person of color living in that state, the chances of you dying a very unnatural death were fucking a high. Damn. Now, that being said, one of the stories that kind of shaped Mamie Till's behavior for like the rest of her life was something that kind of haunted her. And it was a story of a young black girl who was friends with the daughter of a white girl for a family that her mom was employed by, right? So her mom worked in the house, cooked, cleaned, tended to babies. Her daughter was allowed to come with her to work and she would play with the little white girl that the mother looked after right okay well they're playing one day and they have a disagreement well when the little white girl's daddy is walking up the driveway come coming home from work she runs to her dad juice so the little girl's upset they've had a disagreement she runs to her daddy and blah 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 blah, blah points fingers at her little friend the dad just coming home from work and obviously not a very awesome person obviously snatches this little girl's up like this little black girl snatches her up shakes the fuck out of this little girl who may have been four or five and then throws her against a tree in the yard 
now. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So. You fucking <clears throat> fuck. This little girl hits this tree like a fucking ragdoll. The mother had to finish a full day's work before she could even go and look at her kid. Okay? Uh-uh. Uh-huh. Now, this little girl is lying under this tree, writhing in pain all day. Her mom finally gets to her and starts tending to her. That little girl had died of a result of her injuries. Of course. Now, this is a cautionary tale, which Mamie said that she didn't know for sure whether it was true or false, but these are the kind of stories that, like, you don't really want to find out. Nope. Okay. I don't want to know. Right. So it sets the tone of behavior for a lot of black communities because you hear this shit where they're like, hey, did you hear about that boy that got hung by his own entrails out of a tree in Greenwood? Jesus. Or about the little girl that got thrashed by the head of the household, you know, here, here, here. So these brutalities didn't happen directly to Mamie. They didn't have they didn't have to happen directly to you for you to be like, I don't want that to happen to me. Yeah. That's, I mean, shit, there are cautionary tales for us where you're like, fuck that. I don't, no. You know what I mean? Like, fuck. Hmm. I don't like it. Right. May we take this back? <laughs> it's, this one's defective. It's fucking broken. It needs replaced. Yes. <clears throat> now, black children, excuse me, black children in the place of Argo, which was close to, close to Chicago, were, um, it was said that, like, okay, so black children in the place of Argo that was close to Chicago said that it was a sleepy little place where white folks called blacks by their first name, but black folks had better not do the same. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, in Argo, children were taught that they don't go into restaurants or any business establishment without the presence of an adult. You didn't take shortcuts to school. You didn't go through white neighborhoods. Not never. And black children did not speak to strangers, especially white ones, because nothing good happened to a black child if a white stranger was involved. Right? Mm-hmm. You get pistol whipped in the head. Not e- So, and the Shit. thing was, is like, you didn't talk back to whites, not even your peers. Okay? Right. Clearly. We, mm-hmm. we just talked about that. So, it... It was a situation where was the racism as bad in Chicago or Argo as it was in Mississippi? Maybe, maybe not. But hopefully not. They they knew the social standard in which to keep yourself out of trouble, which is really fucked off. But they knew. Okay. Now, where Mamie lived in Argo was mostly made up of immigrants, and a lot of them were from Mississippi. So many had come there seeking like this promised land, and they found something a little less grand. Entirely fucking different, really. Um, they had a neighborhood where the kids stayed out on the streets and played until dark. Grown folks were sitting on porches, you know, gossiping and sitting on stoops for visits. And a lot of the communication that took place was just people hollering up and down the street, which I love that (laughs) shit because that's how we grew up. Like you didn't use the phone. No, you got your ass outside and you were like... I used to like scream down the street. Like, you want to come play? When we got called home, we, so when we grew up in California, okay, we had a friend of David's, his name was Luke, and he lived around the corner, and his dad was scary as hell. Big man, like, tight mullet, handlebar mustache, as far as I can remember. (laughs) When he called for his son, this is all you could hear. And he was was yelling, Luke. And that boy, but Luke. 
and he buttoned up and off he went dude and his like, asshole puckered and yeah, he dude. took the fuck off lucas and that kid could move when he heard his father but that's all how like that's how we got called home right my grandma whistled we, we had, would always be out in in the in the 40s. fields and shit yeah. like out playing so when same thing in in utah like we lived out in the middle of nowhere fucking ballard right and so you know when we got called and even really when we got called it was time to wash our hands and eat and if the sun right. was still up we were going back outside uh-huh. so it was kind of one of those neighborhoods telephones were shared they weren't really used yeah. you just you hollered or you sent a kid but if somebody had a phone it was usually like the whole neighborhood would use that that person's mm-hmm. phone and like everybody kind of chipped in on it Ooh. but you know it wasn't it wasn't normal for everybody to have a telephone right so um everybody in this neighborhood in argo felt very secure in their color let that sink in you felt secure in your place in your color in this neighborhood right so most of her family that lived nearby were aunts uncles and cousins like even great aunts and uncles and it was a good thing because her father mamie's father had actually abandoned the the family in 1932 when she was 11 oh um she grew up with the security of extended family very much loved far from the perils of mississippi and out of reach of the city of destruction is that's what people called chicago the city of destruct destruction huh yeah. nice mm-hmm. very nice so the carthen household was kind of a meeting place for a lot of different people and so mamie's mother alma had helped form a church and they often met there for that so it wasn't uncommon for family to come from the south and come to that like that place their home as like a meeting place and it wasn't a nor- like it wasn't uncommon for people that lived in argo and chicago up north to return to go visit family in mississippi right it was kind of like an obligation to keep like social ties and shit uh october 14th in 1940 mamie carthan who was 18 years old would go on to marry lewis till emmett's father um he was a very large burly man very fond of gambling mm-hmm. aren't we all no i'm not I, my butthole puckers uh so lewis till was very fond of gambling he was really fond of boxing matches dice and poker we're gonna break for just a minute and go into our mid rolls we're not gonna scare you with those anymore so here you go we'll be back in a minute all right welcome back no just kidding And welcome back and from welcome those back. mid-roll advertisements. And the advertisements. Hopefully they found you well, if you heard them. If you didn't hear them, that was just an awkward fucking silence there for a minute. <laughs> back at the ranch. Um, so, Mamie became pregnant very quickly after she got married. And she was also a shorter, plumper woman. And she showed her pregnancy very soon. And she filled out very quickly. So, of course, that set the neighbors a clucking about... Uh, whether or not she had had like gotten pregnant before she was actually married and um the other thing that's like of course this reminds me of missy elliott yeah gossip folks yeah as soon as i hear the opening to that song i get crazy i love missy elliott (laughs) me too you want to talk shit like i will start like "Mm, mm, 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 mm." listen to me now anyway 
Uh, Emmett Lewis Till was born in Cook County Hospital on July 25th, 1941, after a very long, hard labor. Now, he had actually been a breech birth. Oh, God. Breech back then when you can't, like, just fix it. Uh, So, he was born, ascended first, and he was actually left with some complications and scars from the tools they used to extract him from Mamie. Um, he was left with a very bruised knee and he was a little bit hinky, but the doctors said that some of this damage was going to be permanent and thankfully it was not. Now, Mamie, on the other hand, was in horrifying shape for months following this because oh. they pretty much rip and shred mm-hmm. your down the theirs when they use some of these tools. I mean, this is 1955. Right. So oh. she's in the hospital for several months with her newborn son and... During this entire time, guess who never came to visit? Wait, pick me. Um, Nikki? Emmett's dad. Yes. Okay. Lewis, in two months' time, never came to the hospital to see her or his son. Why would you? I mean, that's so far out of the way. Right. And what are they doing? They're just laying there. What is he going to do there? It's a newborn. All it does is, like, shit, sleep, and cry. Right. Why would you need to go visit that? I don't know. So... Two months later, even though her husband didn't come visit her and was off gambling and carousing, she's left with this adorable little two-month-old baby boy. Now, here is where the gossip folk got another shtick to fick, like, fuck with. To fick with. To fick with. I'm going to fick with it. A stick to fick with it. A fick with to stuck with. (laughs) No. (laughs) He, by all accounts, was, he had a sunny disposition, totally normal if it, even though doctors thought that there might be something hinky with him because of the way he was delivered but he had he was light-skinned and the kid had blue eyes and blondish hair as an infant so okay (laughs) yes so people are like wait a minute you got you got a black man and a a black woman and your son is light-skinned with blue eyes and blondish hair and so, of course, people are like, ooh, mailman's what baby, ice cream man happened. baby. like." And that's why the daddy didn't come and visit. And I, oh my God, can you imagine, could you? Could, could you? you imagine the gossip when somebody thinks that a white man has fathered your baby in 1955? Oh, God. Christ. No. So, <laughs> he had actually been given a, a nickname. Emmett was given a nickname, Bobo, when he was in utero. And the nickname Aww. stuck. So he, Bobo, had actually settled into nice skin, chocolatey skin, darker hair, but he did have very light hazel eyes. This kid, look up photos, dude. Mo- like, you're not going to find colored photos of him um, to where you can Obviously. actually see. Right. I wish they would go back and do, I, and somebody may have, and I just haven't seen him, but this kid is so damn cute. Ugh. He's just, he really is just a beautiful kid. So she's got this adorable kid that everybody had talked about. And after his hair had settled a little darker and his eyes had gotten a little darker, he looks so much like his father, Lewis, that paternity was never disputed after that. They were like, all right, never okay, mind. I oh, guess. he is cute as I know. shit. That's what Aww. I know. I'm so cute. He's a super adorable kid. And when 
like when I was going through and doing the research for this case, because I read the book and the book varies from, you know, obviously we've talked about this before, the information that you gather online or from documentaries right. and other books, because there are several books that you can read of Emmett Till and the, the, the accounts vary. Um, but when you see photos of Emmett Till, he really is just a cute, cute kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Careful, because you're going to fuck around and find photos. Yeah, I just found one. Yep. Okay. I don't like it. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that later. Now. You're going to fuck around and find photos. Oh, yeah. You're going to fuck around and see some shit you don't want to find. Um. So, anyway, this this kid, super handsome, like, perfectly symmetrical and, and shit. Mm. Adorable kid. Now, unfortunately, Lewis Till, his father, was a shit hill of a person. Okay. He was very ill-tempered and a very jealous, controlling man. God bless your soul. You, well, a little piece I of it just you, left. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you just sneezed it out. Ugh. It's left you. There's some, if you need some. No, it was a dry sneeze. That's always good. Back at the ranch. Uh, so, Lewis Till was a very resentful, mean person. And Mamie actually described this guy as a dictator. So... After Emmett was born, he would get really frustrated and really angry with the amount of time that Mamie was spending at her mother's house with Emmett. So he was that guy that, like most men in the 1950s, I think, I assume, when he got off work, he expected the the house clean, dinner on the table, ready for him to consume as he walked through the door. And it had to stay piping hot. Of course. Okay. So... If it were not, and Mamie had stayed at her mother's house with the baby too long, he became very violent and super abusive to her in return. Sounds like my first marriage. Right. Boom. I, I wish that fucking was a joke. Mike drop, right? Because right? it totally fucking was not. Um, however, Mamie, good for you, Miss Mamie, who is no longer on this planet, God rest her soul, she took a f- she 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 took a hot pot of boiling ass water and fucking threw it on him was oh, like ha, damn bitch right she was like you're gonna smack me around fuck you now for those of you who are unfamiliar with um medea movies right grit ball <laughs> if you're just look it up grit ball you fucking ah swat get yourself a good <laughs> she she got this cast iron. i fucking love i love medea movies and if you don't i'm sorry you ain't got a sense of humor she has that cast iron skillet she's like you got to get you a good heavy one with a with a good weight she's like flipping around in her hand she's like take the grits throw it on him Bat, grit ball bong like <laughs> fucking throw hot grits on him and when they're screaming in pain you bop them with a pan big old fucking cast iron skillet so why wasn't i this ballsy ball. back in the day for it real. could have solved a lot of problems well, i could have ended this real quick um i I don't think that I've I don't I don't know man like I have had boyfriends that were aggressive I've had two boyfriends that thought they could put hands on me and what they failed to remember was that I was raised by older brothers and wolves right. and if you hit me I'm gonna fucking hit you back and if you ask my husband my fucker I hit hard even on accident fuck with me right don't hit me I, I will hit you back. I was just stuck on Big Brothers and Wolves, and I kept laughing. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's no, so it was... <laughs> if you guys ever have the opportunity to watch a movie called Walk Like a Man with Howie Mandel, it's an old 80s movie, he was literally raised by wolves. That was me. Like, for <laughs> all intents and purposes. Me. I was raised by wolves. Hence so. the fur. 
You had to fucking take it there, didn't you? This is why I get waxed regularly. When I saw Dave's fur fur patch, I was like, you have matching fur patches. Berlin has it too. Like it starts at the base of her neck, runs all the way down her spine to what we call the prue patch, the fuzz above your ass. And I'm like, ah, fuck, we all have it. So she actually, Mamie, throws boiling water on Lewis to escape him. Later, she would actually move out and move back to her mother's home with Emmett. In 1942, she separated permanently from Lewis, and he would make several attempts to reconcile with maybe, but they would always end up abusive and result in him getting verbally and physically violent. Huh. Sounds awfully familiar. see that coming. So, um... She would, Mamie would go on to get a restraining order to keep Lewis away. He violated it so many times that he went in front of a judge and the judge was like, here are your options, jail or military service. You pick. Oh. Right. So Lewis joined the army. He was in in the military. He was ordered to pay $22 a month to Mamie for his child support. And that came from his earnings from the army, right? So, um, in 1945, the check stopped coming and there was a telegram that was sent to Mamie from the Department of Defense that said he had been executed in Italy for, um, willful conduct. Okay. Okay. Come to, come to find out he had been charged and convicted with the rape of two women and the killing of a third while he was um serving in italy now whether or not that is true i'm not sure right but he was he was u.s army and you know it's not like the i realized that he was a black man in the army and then in 1955 or 1945 excuse me 1945 but it's i don't think the army just handed people over i could be 100 percent wrong don't fucking quote right. me on that now would they have handed over just any tom dick or larry off the street probably but as u.s army i think they i think they were a little bit different about that right but so i don't know i could be wrong well and with his violent history with mamie it doesn't yeah you never so know. the army shipped up all of Lewis's shit back to Mamie. And something that was included in that box was a silver ring that had been engraved with the initials LT, and she actually saved that for Emmett. Oh. So Emmett was described as a very playful and mischievous child. He would do things like when he was being naughty, he would run and hide under his bed and like mm-hmm. peek out to see if he was being chased. Do you get me? <laughs> Is anybody coming? Me? Do you see me? So his playfulness is what really bowled his mom over. And she found it difficult to like scold him or discipline him because it would like to her, it was just so damn cute. Right. And I think that happens to a lot of moms. Not me. (laughs) I can keep my cool all the time. They never baffle me. Right. It's not funny. So his grandma, Alma, was the one that was considered the disciplinarian because she handled a lot of that because Mamie was just like, I can't. Right. In the grand scheme of things. That's when we call Aunt Angel. Yes. Do I need to call Aunt Angel? No. 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 I know. I'm, I'm, you know what's fucked up is um, I have a couple of friends that are like, do we need to call Aunt Angel? Yes. Yes, we do. Because I like, I can't handle your big doughy eyes. I know, right? Um, I like it when, when Addison's all, Yeah. Like, <laughs> i'm like god damn shit. it i know but as soon as you get me on the phone she's like oh okay shit. okay 
Okay. 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 <laughs> so the the thing that happened is Mamie was 18 years old when she had Emmett, right? When she got pregnant and had him. Mm-hmm. So in Alma's eyes, she had the big kid and she had the little kid and she basically mothered them both. Right. And Alma, um, you know, her being the motherly figure, Mamie had a very special relationship with her boy. She was very young and they, they did kind of have that weird brother-sister relationship. Yeah. Um. So that being said, they had a, a weird dynamic, but it was a unique bond that, that kind of forged them together. And Emmett Till would be Mamie's only child. In the summer of 1946, Emmett had just turned six. Mamie started to notice something a little bit different, and his energy seemed to deflate earlier and earlier in the evening. And that wasn't like him because he was a—he was one of those little firecrackers that yeah. ran hard, like well into the night. And you're like, I appreciate that you have gone down a little earlier today, but what the fuck is going on? Yeah, but what's wrong? Well, his temperature continued to rise, and there was just like a series of things that like Alma and Mamie were noticing, like this isn't normal. His temperature's up, he's not, you know, they, they're they like, shit. Well, they had tried a bunch of home remedies, like you do. Like you do. Like you do. So they were rubbing him down with something called goose grease, and they were feeding him hoof tea. Now- um, No, thanks. Ma- right. <laughs> Mamie had gone on to admit, she's like, I don't know what kind of hoof was in that tea, or what it was supposed to do, or what goose grease was supposed to accomplish, but- the folks in Mississippi swore by it. These, you know, it's it's your typical home red meat. Like, right. You put Vicks Vapor Rub on their feet, put a sock on, put an onion in there. They stop coughing. The fucked up shit is that really does work. I know. I tried it once <clears throat> on me without the onion. So, no shit. Cut up an onion. Like, if you're sick as fuck and you're running a fever and you're coffee, um, put some Vicks Vapor Rub. Put Vicks Vapor Rub on your feet. Cut onion, stick the shit to your foot, put a like double bag, your foot in a sock, go to bed. A, you will not cough. B, you will wake up in the morning stinking like onions. But you pull your socks off, those fuckers will be black. And Ew. wait for it. It's like they draw toxins out of your fucking feet. Well, I heard you could do that in the air too. You put an mm-hmm. onion out for the air to try to help clean the air. Purify the air. Yeah. My mom actually has another one. Sorry, that was really loud. My mom has another one. She would take an onion and she would blossom it, like cut it and blossom mm-hmm. it. She would take honey and she would pour honey into the onion. And then as it seeped out onto the sides, she would scrape that and feed it to me. And you don't taste the onion, but apparently it's got healing properties, but it will coat your throat and make you stop coughing. Well. No shit. Um all so, right. Anyways, um, all of these home home remedies that were supposed to be taking care of Emmett weren't helping. Like, nothing was fixing him. So they take him to the doctor. He's declined. He's worsening. And they get a diagnosis that's going to rock you. Polio. Oh, no. Right? Polio was considered to be one of the diseases that even though you were going to survive it, it's not going to kill you. It robbed you of your life all the same. Yeah. Because you could be left with some pretty debilitating and sometimes paralytic fucking side effects. Mm-hmm. So Emmett was placed on home quarantine, which was really awful. I mean, for any six-year-old, but this is really awful. Like, you can't go out, like, you can't go out and play and people can't come to visit. Like, uh, you're banned to the fucking house. That's so no good. Exactly. He's placed on home quarantine, 
And he basically spent the entire time in his grandmother's arms. Like, that is all he, like, that's the only place he wanted to be. In about 30 days time, he had actually beaten the polio. He returned to the regular little spitfire that he wa- that he was before he got sick. He was up and bumping out of the house and all but tore the fucking door off the hinges to get outside to play. <laughs> of course. Sunshine! You're like, oh my God. It's like that, what is it, uh, the dawn of Aquarius sort of, let the sun shine in. You're like, shit, get me outside. <laughs> He's like out there breathing. <sighs> right? Let me get it all Just in. like. Like you've seen the sun for the first time ever. Oh, yeah. so beautiful. Oh, my God. But he didn't, he didn't get away unscathed. Aww. Okay. So the polio did leave him with weak ankles, and he did have to wear special shoes because of this. Uh, which, uh, I obvious, like, I immediately go to, Mama said they was my special right? shoes. <laughs> Mama said they'd take me anywhere. I just started running. But Mama also used to beat me with a rubber hose. <laughs> Name that movie. I don't know. Ryan Reynolds, Waiting. Oh. Yeah. I watched it last night. That's why it's stuck in my brains. All I can think of is uh, rip your arms off and beat you to death with them. Billy Bob. Yep. So the other thing was he was left with a noticeable stutter. Now remember that because it's going to be something that gets brought up later. Now, these things didn't stop him from going, like moving, being, playing, and he was still out and about playing baseball, playing basketball with his friends. Emmett had a lot of buddies in the neighborhood. And Mamie's own cousins had actually moved into the area with their son, who was a little bit older, like two years older. And that was Emmett's best friend. Now, from 1947 to 1950, Emmett lived like by by all accounts, it was like the perfect life, okay? Right. He had his friends. He was amongst his cousins. But Mamie would eventually move to Detroit to live with her dad, the one that had abandoned the family. From Chicago to Detroit. Yeesh. Like, out of the frying pan and into the fucking fire, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> so they moved to Detroit, and Mamie's working at the Fort Wayne Induction Center. Now, Emmett got really homesick. He, you know, he's taken out of everything he knows, okay? He doesn't have his grandmother. He doesn't have his cousins. He's, you know, he's yeah. not having the best time in Detroit, okay? That being said, Mamie notices, and she's like, ah, I'm going to send him home. So she sends him back to Argo to live with his aunt and uncle in the same neighborhood. And she eventually moves back, but not before she um, meets a man named Pink Bradley, who, after a brief romance, they marry. Now, they go back to Chicago area after he loses his job at the Chrysler factory there in Detroit. So they move into an apartment next to Alma and she, where she had moved er- earlier. Now Emmett came and joined them in their new apartment shortly thereafter and everybody's happy again. So gradually Pink Bradley began spending more and more time in Detroit, which was about four or five hours from where they lived in the Chicago area. And while he was doing that, he started stepping out on his marriage. Uh-oh. And he, Mamie, learned of this affair. So she did what lots of women, I think, would do, including me. She tossed all of her shit out on the lawn, changed the locks, and was like, hit the road, Jack. Don't, don't you come, come back, back no more, no more, no more, yeah. no more. So once again, it's Mamie, Alma, and Emmett. And they're just the happy little trio that they've always known. 
So Emmett was always really drawn to the outdoors. Um, in one instance, Emmett was about 12 years old and Mamie had sent him to the store to get some bread. So he's gone for much longer than he rightfully should have been. So she goes Six looking for him. Six years later. Six years later. So she goes looking for him and she finds him at the baseball diamond. He'd been walking by after he'd gotten the bread, seeing that the boys were playing and like a moth to a flame, he's like, oh, me too. I want to play. So he leaves the bread and bails to go play baseball. And she said that by the time she got there, the bread looked like it had been used as first base. And that's where he dropped it to go and play. And she couldn't even be mad at him. Like, he was so happy. And he didn't realize, like, even it... Well, God, he's 12. But, you know, he's like, what? Like, baseball, what? So, what happened was... I mean, the bread's still edible, right? It's still good. I don't know what you're (laughs) freaking out about. Jesus. Right. Calm your tits. Mom. (laughs) Calm your tits. Fuck. There's no way a boy would say that to his mother in 1955 no and not get- or now if my kid told me to to calm my tits i swear to christ i don't know my like if my son looked at me and was like calm your tits i'd be like <laughs> tits throw fits get used to it like <laughs> i can't calm them they have a mind of their own um i don't know my my kid says things to me sometimes that like stun me and it's usually for a brief second i'm like oh and then i have to recover because you have to be quicker than your kid yes and there have been a few times that like my son will like zing and i'm like oh and i have to hurry and recover and then i'll fucking throw something back and like he'll be left speechless and i'm like come on where is it you quick wit you cynical little shit what you got now now? you know (laughs) and then he's got nothing and i'm like that's what i thought shut the fuck up Calvin. When you can keep, when you can pace me on the quick wit, come at me, bro. Then Until we'll talk. then, pipe the fuck down, you little bitch. Calvin's got me on the, uh, that's what she said shit now. Oh, fuck. Great. He got me the other day, like something I didn't even know that he knew what it meant. And I was oh, like, no. damn. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, do no. I high five him or do I explain this shit? Because I, I think he knew what it meant. Do I slap the shit out of him or? Do I question my parenting? I don't know what to do right now. So, Emmett was full of knock-knock jokes, chickens crossing roads, and, uh, and a lot more. He was, he was that kid that loved to laugh and make other people laugh. And he was one of those kids that, um, from the beginning until the M, the M, the end with Emmett, there was laughter. Like, Aww. the kid just, he was, he was a sparkly, funny little kid. Um, he told riddles that made no sense, and Mamie always said that she thought these riddles, like, in order to find the humor in them, that you had to be a child. Like, it was a child's mind. So, when they got a television... I'd be right there. I'd right? be like, I got you. I get it. <laughs> oh! Pick me! Pick me! So, um, when a television came into the house, he began mimicking the comedies and such that he saw on TV. So things like um, Red Skelton mm-hmm. and yeah, so those were the things that he started um, started doing as well. And uh, Mamie also played like neighborhood chauffeur. She would take the boys to the lake in the summertime and she would cart them to and from. Now, of course, this is Lake Michigan, so it's segregated. There's white waters and black waters, okay? I love... You're on the white side. What? Excuse me? Fu- huh? Bitch, did you know this water all touches each other? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> she- God. So anyway, I just... That shit. I'm like, what the fuck? Anyway, 
So she would cart them back and forth from the lake. And during the evening, there was a bunch of kids that actually hung out under the streetlight. And they would all sit there and they would doo-wop, which was like a big thing. Okay. And they doo-wop, doo-wop. You know, why do you bop Not mbop, doo-wop. So they loved to get out there and they would sing. And they were all off key and they're laughing together and everything. But Emmett loved being in the spotlight. So he, he was that kid that, you know, center of attention. And he liked to entertain. I like that about a kid. <laughs> I like that in a kid. I like that in a kid. So Emmett was also never described as a discipline place. D- Whoa. Discipline, discipline, discipline. Re- re- <laughs> rewind and start it. Lion face. Ah, lemon face. Ooh, lion face. Ah, lemon face. Ooh. <laughs> Break it down for me. Discipline case. Gosh. Um, so back of the ranch. Emmett was never a discipline case. Intended to be quiet, average, just like your basic normal student in school. Um, he was well-mannered and was just one of those kids that you never had problems with. He also attended church regularly. Now, Alma, his grandma, was deeply religious, and he spent a lot of time with her. Now, Mamie didn't go as much, but Emmett did. So you can kind of assume that this kid has probably more manners and better behaviors than a lot of others okay anyway um after the marriage to pink bradley had dissolved emma had started picking up more and more like adult behaviors for mamie so he would keep the house he would you know that kind of thing now he he didn't do much cooking but he did keep a nice house is what mamie said he actually attempted to make a birthday cake for his mother okay one year and he went and got a box cake from the neighbors he was like how do I do this? And she's like, put the eggs, put the oil, put, you know, put it in the oven. Eggs, oil, water, cook. The you boy, good. every time the cake would start to rise, he would stir it. Oh, no. And he didn't realize. And he ruined it. Oh. So, the poor, yeah, he tried. Him, he tried. And I he failed. it still tastes like brownies, though. That's what you do when they fall. Yeah, you, you, you just fuck still up. Nope. eat it. Milkshakes. Every time oh, I bake shit. something and I fuck it up, you can always tell. I used to turn everything into milkshakes, okay? So you would hear me pull something out of the oven. And if I was like, God damn it, the kids are like, milkshakes! <laughs> every time. Didn't matter what it was. Fucking blueberry muffins, fuck it. Milkshake. Brownies, fuck it. Milkshake. Like, every time. Now that I have, like, perfected most of my baking, it's very rare that something gets turned to, into a milkshake. And so now they're like, can we have milkshakes? Logan coffee? brought that up. He's like, we haven't had a uh, goddammit milkshake in a minute. And I was like, <laughs> very funny boy. So he did He did keep the house and he did the laundry while Mamie was working. Um, his new position as a young man in the home kind of opened up this new phase for taking care of things. Now, he was meticulous about his own things, his shoes, his clothes, his bedroom, that kind of thing. Right. Um, he fancied a straw hat and he wore it every time he went to church. And that photo that you actually, one of the photos that you see is his straw hat that he loves so much. Aww. Now, he had a little bit of a stammer. Okay, and that we talked about that. Yes. Now, he had been on one date ever with a girl at 14. Aww. He never had a girlfriend, and he wasn't very good with them. You know, obviously, you get nervous, you stutter. And if you have a stammer due to polio, it's probably a lot more pronounced than just your regular nerves. So he, he really didn't have a way with girls, so to speak. Now, he was five foot four, 160 pounds, which is pretty stupid pretty short and stocky yeah you know what i mean but he was acknowledged by a lot of people as looking like a man so he was short but a well-built young man right so it was his great uncle um moses wright that had had actually encouraged him 
to come to Mississippi for that summer. And um, Emmett and his best friend, also his relatives, Curtis, uh, Curtis Jones and Wheeler Parker. Um, They were all going to go to the South that summer to stay with family. Now, Reverend Wright had been asked to conduct a funeral in Chicago for a former parishioner. And while he was up north, he decided he would bring his grandson, Wheeler, and Curtis. And Emmett was his great nephew. He was going to bring them all back. And they were going to spend the summer in Mississippi. And... Reverend Wright had actually enchanted Emmett with stories about, you know, there's seven lakes and four rivers and all sorts of fishing, you know, things that weren't necessarily a stone's throw away from your home when you live in Chicago. Yeah. So all of these things for a little boy that likes to be outside is like, hell yeah, like adventure. So you've got the Tallahatchie, the uh, Yalabusha, the Yazoo, and the Sunflower River that all were right by the uncle's home. So now, Mamie originally was like, no, about Mm. him going to the South. How about we don't? Right. So under the constant barrage from Emmett begging and the family being like, why? He going to be with family. Why? Because he's my baby. That's why. I, I know exactly how she felt. Okay. Maybe not exactly. Right. When my kids bounced for an entire month to go out of state, even though they were staying with their great-grandmother, and I was very thankful because their great-grandmother is an adorable right. woman, okay? I, I actually think she's quite lovely. Um, They left for a month to go to New Mexico to hang out with their great-grandma on their mom's side. And I, at first, was like, no. Nope. No. No. I, d- uh... No. And then, you know, I had to like, because they hadn't been that far away from me. And I'm a stepmom like that. I didn't even give birth to these things. Um, They are not my spawn. So that being said, it took a second for me to be like, you know what I mean? I am the the stepmom. Like I realized that I have custody of them and that they live with me. You are the stepmom. If their dad and their mom are like, they are going to go visit their great-grandmother. You just have to button it up and be like, ah. Okay, fine. All right. But after a couple of days, I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. Naked naked to the fridge, naked to the bathroom, naked to wherever we're going. Oh, my God. It is true. Front door naked. You're not wrong. I am one of those people that if I am in a situation in which I can get away with as little clothing as possible, I do. I didn't cook. I didn't have to clean. I never wore no. clothes unless I left the fucking house. And even then, it was, like, debatable. Like, I couldn't even tell summer. you how many times I sat on the back porch Naked. first thing in the morning in just my panties, like, chilling out, fucking smoking. Or, like, late at night, I'd be sitting on my back porch with a cocktail and a cigarette, nude. Yep. Like, the only people that can really see me from my back porch are, like, my mother-in-law if she comes out on her back porch. But if it's late, it was, like... You 10 30 11 shit. o'clock you have to look it's hard dark and ain't nobody coming to my house at like that late at night so i'd sit out there in my birthday suit my birthday my suit. birthday suit my daughter left me for t- seven days yeah dude i thought i was gonna die i was on the struggle bus there for a minute and then i was great i was like fuck it like no kids um but then towards the end you get sick of unloading the dishwasher and taking out the trash and That's then you're like, I'm bring upset. back my slaves. Yeah, when Calvin leaves, I'm like, wait, bring back the one that does things. <laughs> yeah. I have There's so much trash in this house. It's like a trash can in here. I've, I've had to take out the trash. I can't even tell you the last time I took out the trash. Um, I, I do. 
But in general, there are a lot of things that my son takes care of that, eh, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. So eventually, Mamie says, okay, fuck it, when she gives in. And she's like, go, you know, and she agrees. So one of the stock stories provided in Emmett, Emmett Till's death was that he just didn't know any better. He was from Chicago in Mississippi, okay? Mississippi. However, Mississippi. However, being a 14-year-old boy in 1955 from Chicago, it may have been a little bit difficult for people to wrap their brain around, like, how did he not know, okay? Because there there were consequences for actions in Chicago. Now, maybe it was a little bit different in Mississippi, but a lot of people were like, eh, you know, I don't... I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Can you really... Yeah, so... Um, there were a lot of ways that Chicago itself was a lot more segregated than Mississippi. And one of that, for certain, was the demographics. Now, in 1950, there were 21 distinct distinct ethnic groups, neighborhoods, the German, Irish, Swedish, Norwegian, Dutch, Czech, Slova- Slovak, the Slovakian. Slovak. Sorry, that's such a weird word for me. Um, you had Scottish, Polish, Chinese, Greek, Russian, Mexican, French, and that's just like the tip of the iceberg. And right. then you had the black folk. Yes. Now, each of these had been under like an unwritten treaty that like, this is where you live and this is where you stay. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Germans were the north side, Irish south side, Bohemians and Poles were southwest, and the African Americans were on the south side, of what they called the black belt. Okay. Jesus Christ. I know. We have black waters and black belts. Like, reel it in, motherfuckers. Do you know what the Monday was called that they integrated schools? Black, black Monday. Monday. Jesus. Right. I know. So, get a fucking grip. You guys find something else to do with your fucking time, okay? This is stupid. Um, Each of them stayed in their own neighborhoods, okay? And it was really well known that there was a gang to each of these neighborhoods to defend their territories from encroaching outsiders. And most visible outsiders, obviously, were African-American, okay? You're black. Right. Um, Young black kids that wandered into neighborhoods that were not their own were dealt with and they did so at their own peril. So in the Great Migration of 1910 to 1930, the number of African Americans in this area doubled. Um, the housing shortages spilled over these like invisible racial boundaries into mm-hmm. all white neighborhoods. And they were confronted with like threats of violence and often death. Now, a study in 1919 of race relations called the tensions a type of guerrilla warfare. From 1917 to 1921, 58 bombings in buildings rented or bought by blacks in formerly all-white sections of the area were very common. Like, 58. Okay. Now, in 1919, a young black boy of 17 would actually drift across one of these invisible lines at that segregated beach of Lake Michigan. He was, like on a piece of driftwood and he floated into finger quotes white water okay okay a man that was on the bank threw a rock at eugene williams hit the boy in the head rendered him unconscious to which he sank and fucking drowned because of it jesus christ yeah man okay okay so rather than arrest the dude responsible for chucking the rock that would drown the kid the police actually arrested a black bystander who prosted, like protested their inaction. Okay. Right, because that's, that's that that makes that's sense. That's a good way to go about it. Do that. Mm-hmm. So obviously there is racial tensions, okay? 
This man hasn't been arrested. Black kid died. Black man arrested for being like, what the fuck? For being there. Yeah. For, yeah. For calling the cops out for being dicks. Right. For not doing their job. Now, shortly thereafter, we've got carloads of white dudes driving through black neighborhoods, spraying bullets into crowds. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let that sink in. We started the drive-bys. Yeah, we did. Little little history lesson. The more you know, <laughs> right. we fucking started. Lavar Burton just came out. I know, dude. I can read fly a book. High, butterfly in the sky. Yeah, dude. For realsies, we Take fucking started. A look. It's, it's in, in a, a book. book. It's reading. I love that show. I still fucking watch it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> so yeah, we're responsible for the beginning of the drive-bys. Now. Since we were doing this, the white, not we fucking collectively in this room, but we collectively as fucking That's race. What I was thinking, I'm like, what? well, hold on. I've yeah, never we, done we, a drive-by. You got a mouse in your fucking pocket? I know. Like, what is this we? You can take responsibility for this because I am not. Right. <laughs> so the the whites are driving through and they're spraying bullets into black neighborhoods. Black people are starting to put snipers into effect to return fire. Yes. Mobs are roaming the streets. People on both sides are shooting, stabbing, stoning each other, beating each other. Police shot down seven blacks. Mob killed seven, 16 more. <coughs> Excuse me. Black mobs killed 15 whites. Thousands of people are rendered homeless because of fucking arson and fires raging out of control. Okay, with these fire bombings. Yeah. Which were like really popular. Now. Why not? Right. Over. Just, dude, you you can't start a fire there because it's going to come here. Like, yo, you're going to burn your own fucking house down. Like, leave it all alone. Moron. Think this shit through. Put the fire down. Think about the consequences. Nay, nay. We don't set, sh- don't set shit on fire. No, let's don't. So over 500 citizens were seriously injured. Two-thirds of that 500 were black. Jeez. And this carried on for quite some time, okay? Not only that, the, the housing in this area was a completely horrifying joke. Um, black people couldn't get mortgages, okay? They became trapped in this thing. It was like a contra- contract-based system of buying where... Like a white fam, like a, a white man would have a property, and they'd be like, "Okay, we're gonna have this contract where you have to pay me this much for the property, which was probably more than the property was worth, and you're gonna get charged interest because banks charge interest. So I'm gonna charge you interest, but because you can't get a mortgage, my interest is gonna be higher." Oh, Eventually, they would bankrupt these black families. Okay, of course. I mean, they could like you could not fucking get mm-hmm. ahead. Okay, so realtors were not only keep it like they would say you're a a black a young black couple and you're looking for a home you go to a realtor you're like i want to see a home in this neighborhood okay or on this street and you ended up on the other side of fucking town and you're like this is not what i asked for they were to only show you the neighborhood in which you belong to wow right that was nice of them Mm -hmm. so the other thing that started to happen is if a person outside of their race moved into like an all-white neighborhood didn't matter like black was the one that they were like fuck pack your shit we're getting the fuck out but you could have been polish and moved into that neighborhood and they were like fuck there goes the goddamn neighborhood that's where that (laughs) fucking saying came from by the way really there goes there goes the neighborhood like as soon as they saw somebody that wasn't of the mountains of caucus caucasian fucking slavic (laughs) if you weren't blonde haired blue eyed there went the neighborhood okay so really could have been a mexican but black people like apparently that was when like shit just went fucking super that's when the neighborhood went that's when the neighborhood fucking went you know 
Um, I'm sure that's what it was. Hey, by the by, if you're still like that, you're a piece of shit. Just so you know. Yes. Anyways, you should want... Here's how I feel about it, okay? And this is this is something I learned when I lived in the South. You want black people in your neighborhood. Want to know why? Because they fucking cook better than you. Right. You can learn a thing or two. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Yes. Kendra, her collard greens, always better than mine. Always. always. I'm just saying. I can make a meaner pot pie than she could. But I goddamn guarantee you her cornbread was better than mine. Ooh. Every fucking time, too. We need to stop talking okay, about sorry. food. I'm so I'll be, hungry. I'll be quiet. I'll be quiet. We can Kendra, finish this up. Kendra, come and cook and then, for me. <laughs> so um anyway uh it got to a point where if people were moving in to like formerly or like all white neighborhoods they were getting out as fast as they could they being the white people they were like fuck it we're out they're packing up their shit and they're getting the fuck out now the property values started dropping and in an attempt to keep these neighborhoods white there were so-called improvement and the so-called improvement started happening right um, which was basically a, a nice way of saying they had gangs responsible for fire bombings all throughout the 1940s, um, trying to like basically burn them out of the neighborhoods. Okay. Okay. Um, these neighborhoods eventually turned from all white neighborhoods to maybe one or two families. Because there were no houses because they all got burned? Well, but they would either, then they would turn into like all black neighborhoods. Because yeah. everybody's bouncing out, like values drop, like, nobody's sweet, moving in. There's a spot for us, and it's cheap, right? Well, in 1949, thousands of white men had actually attacked an apartment building in a place called Park Manor after one black family purchased the building. The Chicago National Guard had to be fucking dispatched Jesus to end the fucking madness. Okay, so in 1948, it was actually reported by the Chicago Urban League, 375,000 black people were living in the South Side that was legally supposed to accommodate 110,000 people. Whoa, I, that's a slight overcrowding. Slight. Small. Small. Small overcrowding. Mm-hmm. Now, there was some sort of deep-seated hate that fueled the desire to keep everybody separate, obviously. Mm-hmm. Race mixing. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, my God. What have you done? <laughs> There's an actual word for it. Mised- oh, fuck, why can't I say it now? My mouth's not going to play. Miscegenation. The mixing of races. It was like a huge fear like of interracial happenings. We don't want one of them to get with one of ours and, and we make a mix. Oh, my God. That would be the end of the fucking world. My, my, how times have changed. But, yeah, that was like the biggest fear that people had white people had they oh my god so the mixing of races was like jesus christ if we let them go to the same school together they're They're gonna gonna be be rubbing peepees babies of mixed races and just (laughs) pregnancy everywhere calm the fuck down dude if they look at each other pregnant 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 oh my god yeah and this was yeah okay so like there couldn't have been worse fucking things under the sun to happen apparently (laughs) now while i could go on and on and on about Chicago history or Southern history in 1955, whatever. I can, but I won't. We just wanted to give you a little insight that's going to set the tone. So with all of that happening in Chicago, you have to think that like Emmett knows there's some things that you just don't do as a black kid. Right. Okay. Now, Mamie had actually instructed Emmett to avoid interactions with white people in Mississippi, if possible, at po- like if at all just don't don't talk to them whatsoever she advised you know use your manners 
I'm pretty sure I tried to say manners. Mind your manners. <laughs> Isn't that a Yes, Robin mind head? your manners. Yeah. Mind your manners. So it was yes, ma'am, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, that kind of thing. And she said, you know, in the event that a white woman should start walking towards you on the sidewalk, you take to the street and lower your eyes. Okay. Mm -hmm. She's going through the rigmarole of trying to protect her son, at which point her, her kid's like, you know, I know this. I know I'm not supposed to quarrel with white people. I know the rules. If there's confrontation, I'm to humble myself and agree with them. That fucking drives me bonkers yeah. in the grand scheme of things. I'm like, what? So, but he knew all this. Okay. Now, Emmett was basically given a crash course in hatred before he's shipped off to, to Mississippi. He'd only ever known love and support and acceptance from his family. Yeah. And right before they send him to Mississippi, home of the lynching, okay, they're basically like, okay, everybody's going to hate you. That being said, you are less of a human. Here's how you act. Remember your place. Uh, ugh. Could you imagine sending your kid somewhere where you're like, you just need to remember your place? No, I don't want you to go. You no. stay here. Yeah. Please. I, all aboard the struggle bus at mm -hmm. that point. Because Emmett didn't need to take the South train to Mississippi to know that his skin color made him a target and that possible dangers were lurking. Um, it was, however, the first time that his mother had to explain the fact to him, and she didn't like this, okay? Because he was, maybe he was a little too nonchalant about it. I'm sure he was excited. Yeah, yeah, Ma, I know. Yeah, Dad, you towed us. Yeah, towed us. Sorry, it's a movie quote. Anyway, Mamie and Emmett met her Uncle Moses Wright, the Reverend Wheeler Jr., and... Um, at the train station right around the corner at 8 o'clock. You know, even though the station was just a stone's throw away, Emmett was late and almost missed the train. Had they just been, like, a few seconds later, he'd have got left. God damn it. I know. So, he had time for a quick kiss goodbye, waving to his mom with that silver ring that belonged to his father, mm. father engraved with LT on his hand, and hops on that southbound train out of Illinois Central to go to Mississippi. That would be the last time that Mamie ever saw her son alive. I don't like it. Not even a little bit. That's that's it. A quick, not even, not even a hug, just a quick, mwah. see you, Mom. Love you, bye. bye. And off he goes. And that's the last time she'll ever see her kid. And that's where I'm going to leave you this time. I don't like it. So, join us next week. Because we're going to consent. Blah. <laughs> have an episode uh next week we are going to pick up where we left off and next week we're going to cover a lot of what you guys were hoping we were going to get to today and didn't and left you hanging like a couple of dicks yep that's what we like to do though well you know okay so, so the wrap at the beginning of this show episode shepherd the shepherd showed came from frank dukes if you want to hear him Cobra Clutch. Yes, he's <laughs> fucking amazing. I was like, so he did one of these for learning, learning to, curse. to curse. And I heard it and I was like, oh my God. So I like immediately messaged him. I was like, so maybe you could make us one of these, please. And he's like, well, I was thinking about it. So we talked for a while and he got a bunch of our stuff and he did so goddamn amazing. So you got to go check him out, check out his work. He's awesome and a big thanks to him for doing that for us you'll probably hear it a little bit here and there because i'm obsessed with it thanks frank 
Thanks, Frank. Shink. Thank you, Frank. So maybe don't firebomb your neighbors and be a racist piece of shit. And, and uh, stay, stay out, out of chalk, chalk lines. lines. Goodbye. Goodbye.